Hello, and welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We are a faith-filled, family-focused church that's in Lakeville, Minnesota. In a moment, you'll be able to hear a sermon from one of our pastors. We hope that you enjoy and grow closer to God through these messages. And now, for a sermon from our lead pastor, Derek Ross. There's a video. Don't really know what to say after that, but uh, was that your idea, Jack, or something? You don't think you started it? I'd just like to say that nobody uh, was harmed in the making of that video, and so, or against their will too much, I don't know, but uh, I don't know if that was like a tip of the cap to your testimony, Jack, or, you know, things... You, you let them out of the trunk later. That's fantastic. Okay, I don't, they filmed that on Tuesday and I watched that. I was like, okay, that's interesting. But uh, attention grabbing nonetheless. So there we go. That's great. So they filmed that on Tuesday. Uh, uh, I'm Derek, by the way, the lead pastor here, which means I'm supposed to be running the things around here, but I don't know what's going on in the video department. But uh, welcome those watching, worshiping online as well. So they filmed that on Tuesday. And uh, then on Wednesday night, we were having the last week of the His Story, Her Story, which was just such a blessing to me. I'm looking forward to the next time we do that again, just hearing what God has done in different people's lives in the church. And uh, Dennis Garrett was sharing about how uh, him and Becky were in college and Becky asked him for a ride to church. He was uh, driving a few people to church and he said, yeah, I think we can fit you in the trunk. Come on, now they've been married 51 years, so I don't know. <laughs> That's, it, it ended well, I guess. I don't know. But what are the odds that they filmed that on Tuesday and Wednesday? Dennis shares that illustration. That's kind of crazy. Only at celebration would those kind of things happen on back-to-back days. It's uh, great to be here this Wednesday. I don't know what's going to happen, but uh, adults will be in the chapel. It's going to be awesome. Some combination of Pastor Dan, Pastor Josiah. It'll be great. And uh, here we go. So Acts chapter five, we're continuing this series. Oh, uh, I almost forgot. That's why I have these things. Hopefully you got on the way in uh, the fourth quarter kind of key dates that are happening for the rest of the year. Not that any of you will change your schedules because of it, but at least now you'll know. Yeah, that's, I said it out loud because I was thinking it and I just felt like saying it. I felt better doing that. So if you grew up Catholic, that was confession for me. And like, we do this work and now you have it. Anyway, one thing that wasn't on here that my wife did ask me about this week and uh, because I kind of live by my calendar, it wasn't on there. Um, October, historically, is Pastor Appreciation Month. And she asked me, hey, are you gonna say anything about that for the other pastors? And I said, that's a good idea. And so this is what I'm doing right now. Uh, a lot of times throughout the year, um, I get more instant feedback from you. Thanks, Pastor, for preaching the message is good, or I get a lot of the credit for a lot of things that's going on. But the truth is, it's definitely not a one-man show around here. And um, uh, there's a lot of pastors on our staff that without them wouldn't make this possible. So I just want to encourage you. You've already missed out on half of October. Uh, My bad for not saying it earlier. But if you would, write them a note, get them a card, give them a gift, whatever you could the rest of this month. Let them know what their ministry has meant to you or just encourage them. A lot of pastors will suffer or struggle silently, wondering if they're making a difference. And so I I just want to say thanks uh, on their behalf in advance for giving them that encouragement. And so you could do that as well. Amen. All right. Acts chapter five. If you have a Bible, you could turn there. And if you're able, would you uh, stand to your feet as we uh, read God's word together? Well, you'll read it with your eyes. I'll read it with my voice and my eyes. Cause anyway, whatever. Uh, you know, many scholars have said this text in Acts chapter five is one of the most challenging texts to preach from. And um, because Ananias and Sapphira, lied and they died in church. And so 
there's been a lot of struggle with that. Some of my pastor friends have uh, joked that when they preach hard texts, they have to wear their preacher's hat, which is code for a construction helmet, you know, in case anybody throws anything at them. But in a weird way, I, I've been looking forward to this week. I think it's celebration. We want uh, all of God's word, not just the easy passages about faith or healing or blessing, but we understand that there's wisdom in the whole council of scripture. And so today's one of those days. I didn't bring a preacher's hat, but I'm confident. I, I understand that today there probably won't be a ton of amens, but I believe the Lord's word will speak directly to all of our hearts. Amen. All right, so Acts chapter five, the Bible reads like this. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you've lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You've not lied just to human beings, but to God. And when Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young man came forward, wrapped up his body, carried him out, and buried him. Amen. So today I'm talking about, we're preaching a message that I've titled, and you see it there on your notes, Dangerous Deception. Dangerous Deception. Let's pray together this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We, we thank you for the help of the Holy Spirit. Give us all ears to hear what you're saying. Help none of us leave the same, but let us all become more like you, Lord Jesus. And we ask it in your mighty and matchless name. And we all said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I'm going to give you a recap, but uh, before I do, I want to invite um, up some, some good people. They've been in church for a little bit now. I want to invite up Darren and Pam Coleman. If you come, yeah, you could bring your daughter. That's all good. Yeah. Just come on up to the stage. Just illustration sermon. Come on, give them a hand. Yep. Come on. Praise the Lord. No advance notice. No advance notice, but we're talking about Ananias and Sapphira, people dying in church. So if you need to repent, this is going to be your moment. Come on up forward, right in the light, step in front of the line. Is that a good spot for them? Okay, no, I'm just kidding. Okay, just stand right here. I'll get back to you in just a second. Amen. So I want to give a review for those that are newer uh, about the first five weeks. This is week number six. Again, I'm going to get to y'all in just a second. It's going to be powerful. Nobody's going to forget this illustration today. All right, number one, first week, remember we did three sermons out of Acts chapter two. The first one, we said it was called Power for Today and the illustration, the visual aid was Mentos and Diet Coke. And so we don't necessarily need more of the Holy Spirit in us. We need the Holy Spirit to get out of us and to help those around us. And so we're still believing that power is available and needed for today. Then we talked about proclaiming the gospel. We had the megaphone and the Holy Spirit will help us be louder so that we can be heard. <laughs> Also, we're needing the Holy Spirit to make a few people less loud because they're too loud to be heard, but that's another. Don't be yelling at somebody sitting at coffee. Amen, just have a conversation, all right? Uh, we talked about week three was uncommon community and how when we go through struggle, we recognize that community might not be for us, but we might be for somebody else. And that single nail in the balloon, it'll pop when we go through struggle, but when there's a group of us, that whole bed of nails, even that pressure wouldn't pop the balloon. Acts chapter six or five, we're getting to you guys in just a second. Message number six. Here we go. We're going to talk about dangerous deception. 
people that died in church. Okay, praise the Lord. And then the next week we talked about walking in power, Acts chapter three, that we're all gonna be praying for, not just miracles in the church, but out there uh, in the world, everywhere we go. This week I got another testimony. This one wasn't a healing testimony, but it was a provision testimony. They said uh, they were praying and God brought to them a new job in the last couple of weeks where they get a 50% pay raise plus commission on top of that. <laughs> Praise the Lord. And I celebrated so much because they said, and we're not moving, Pastor. It's right here in the South Metro. I was like, praise the Lord. I, you know, tired of people getting pay raises and moving to Texas or something. You know, like, stay here in Minnesota with me. Okay, anyway, uh, so that was awesome what God is doing. And we, we talked about that. Then last week was obedient disobedience. And the illustration was Simon Says. Remember, I still got that gift card right here from Walmart. Simon can't make you do bad things. He can only say you can't win the prize. And remember, the prize isn't even anything. There was no money loaded on the Walmart gift card. It was just a game. It was a charade. But, but so we're going to stand up for the things of God. Then today we're talking about dangerous deception. Ananias and Sapphira and Darren and Pam, you guys been helping out and helping marriages and raising a family. And so today... I'm not doing any game or illustration. I just wanted to mess with y'all because uh, <laughs> in the passage, when people died, I was like, I'm not fooling with that. Can we give Darren and Pam a big hand here this morning? We love you guys. We bless you. Thank you for leading so well. Oh, it's so great. Uh, no, I'm not fooling with that. There's no game or illustration with that. People died. It's already, no, we're not playing a game. We're just gonna get right into the text. But uh, we do honor you guys and thank you for being a couple worth following and, and great young leaders uh, in the church. We believe what God's uh, best is still ahead in your life. So thanks for uh, being willing to come up unasked. And uh, I was gonna say uninvited, but I invited you. I voluntold you to come on up here. And so thanks for uh, being honorable people with that. All right, let's get to the note sheet. There's three points, uh, but uh, I gotta uh, get right in. Number one, live with God's approval, not for man's applause. This is important. We need to live with God's approval, not for man's applause. Now I'm gonna come back to the text in a minute, but let me give you an explanation. I, I need a little bit of teaching right now. There's some uh, distortion about the gospel in, in our land. And so I need to clarify some things for us theologically here today so that you're not distracted or deterred in these last days. I wanna explain, maybe you could circle the word with on your note sheet. You can circle the word with right there on your note sheet. I wanna explain why I selected the word with. I think it's important that, that we understand. It's not the primary point. I'll get to that in a minute. But I think it may be a sticking point for some people here today. The word with, living with God's approval. When you give your life to Jesus Christ, when you surrender your heart and your, your will to the Lord, when you accept his forgiveness, when you're made new, you might have heard the word, when you are saved, you are at that moment fully approved by God. There's nothing else that you need to say or do in that moment because of what Jesus did on the cross. He lived a perfect life. He was punished for our sin. He, he was buried in a tomb, but then he was resurrected three days later because of what Jesus did for us. When we receive his forgiveness, when we receive his payment, when we are, the Bible says, when the old is gone and the new has come, we are now not partially, not conditionally, but we are fully approved by God. 
There, there's not an asterisk. There's not a, uh, you know, a little fast salesman thing at the end, like subject to your credit, not many buyers will qualify. No, 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 no. You and I are fully approved by God in that moment. Can I get a good amen? But it's only through the finished work of Jesus Christ. We talked about this last week, right? That the gospel, it's inclusively exclusive that whoever believes will be saved, but it's only through Jesus. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So, so we are fully approved, and therefore, from that moment on, we can and should live with God's approval. Now, some people might say you need to live for God's approval. And I'm not saying that's wrong, but I don't think it's totally right. Or maybe another way to say it is that it's easily manipulated in these days. Let me give you an example of distortion of the gospel when we try to live for God's approval. It's like we're on a spiritual treadmill that we're doing everything we can. We wonder, will I say enough good things? Will I do enough good things? Can I get enough gold stars on the checklist? Will I ever measure up? Because I'm always trying to strain for God's approval. All of a sudden, we, we live with this guilt-based mentality. We're like, oh, I don't, I don't want to do anything wrong because I, I don't want to make him mad and I don't want to make him sad. I'm trying to live for his approval. I'm not saying we shouldn't live for his approval, but we, we are not trying to attain it. We're really yeah. just working, living to keep it. That's why it's with and not for. Let me prove it to you. Romans chapter 3 and 23, one of the more famous verses of Scripture. Let me read a little more context before and after. Verse 22 and 24. This is God's Word translation. I liked how it read. It said, everyone. Yeah, you don't have to study that word very long to understand. That means you. That means me. That means your neighbor. That means people that look like us, that talk like us. It means the people that don't look like us and don't talk like us. <laughs> it means everyone who believes. It's not just everybody who wants it or thinks it. It's everyone who believes has God's approval through faith in Jesus Christ. Nothing else that we got to do, nothing else that we got to say. Everyone who believes has God's approval. They receive God's approval freely. You can't buy it. It is good because most of you couldn't afford it. Truth is, none of us could. Because you can't write a check to buy God's approval. You can't do enough. You can't earn it. You can't achieve it. All of us receive it freely by an act of his kindness. <laughs> Isn't it amazing uh, that it's an act of his kindness that approves of us? And we've lost some of that kindness in our world. But it says it's through the price Christ Jesus paid to set us free from sin. That's good news for us, dear brothers and sisters. We don't have to try to live for it. We can live with it. It was a free gift to us. We just receive it. But let me also say, we're not saying live for God's approval, nor am I saying live in God's approval. Not that that's wrong, because we ought to live in it, but some people would say, well, now that I'm in it, I can't be out of it. And the truth is, there are choices that we can make, actions that we can commit that remove the favor of God from our life. Some people say, well, now that I'm in his approval, I can't be kicked out. But the apostle Paul had something to say about that misconception of doing whatever you want. 
He said it this way in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Well then, should we keep on sinning? (laughs) Now that we're in his approval, should we do whatever we want so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? No. He said, of course not. (laughs) Since we've died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? So this isn't just live in it, do whatever you want. This isn't just some cheap grace, abuse it and whatever. But we're going to live with the approval. You see, we've received God's favor through Jesus Christ, but we must not abandon it through sinful living. We can't earn it, and we won't lose it on accident, but we can forfeit it. We can choose to walk away. But we are called to follow Christ and become like him. Living with God's approval, I think, is evidence of discipleship. Living with, right? It's more than a one-time decision at an altar. It's more than a hand raised or a prayer prayed. It is a lifetime of following his ways and becoming more like him. We're living with his favor. Well, that's just the intro to point number one. I was just explaining why it said live with. Now let me go back and read our text. That was free. We're not doing another offering for that. That was just a blessing to somebody here today. (laughs) All right, we go back and look at the book of Acts. I wanna slide back two verses to the end of Acts chapter four. We gain some context, right? Because Acts chapter five, verse one said, now man and his wife also sold a piece of property. Well, who else sold one? I'm glad you asked. Acts chapter four, verses 36 and 37. It said, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. I didn't read anywhere that they were having a church-wide campaign to sell all the extra land to make the offering bigger. I don't read anywhere in scripture that said, God said, this is what you need to do, have to do, or even should do. But apparently this is something that Barnabas wanted to do. Maybe he felt led to do. Whenever God encourages us or impresses upon our heart to do something, we ought to do it. Because that's how we live with his approval. When we simply follow his leading and we do what he asks us to do, I remind you, this isn't based upon a certain amount, but upon our total obedience. Living with his approval, it's way more than an offering. (laughs) It's like when we're driving by and we see somebody in need or we see somebody that's downcast and he impresses on our spirit, you ought to stop and encourage them. If we drive on by, we didn't do what he asked us to do. It's not about how many encouraging words, it's just simply obeying. What is it that he's asking us to do? And I believe from this text, we can see that Barnabas simply did what God asked him to do. And then something happened in chapter five and we read that Ananias and Sapphira I don't know, my guess, I'm trying to infer a little bit as I'm reading, I'm guessing they must have liked the positive attention that Barnabas received. He, you know, his name, he was Joseph, he was a Levite from Cyprus, but the apostles began to call him Barnabas. 
I don't know, uh, but, but it seems like for whatever reason they enjoyed or, or they wanted and they forgot that they weren't giving in competition with one another, but in cooperation with one another. And all of a sudden, I don't know, they, they began to, I'm not, I'm not sure really what happened, but when I look at it, it seems that they wanted what Barnabas got, but they weren't willing to give what Barnabas gave. Now think about this beyond money. I understand it was like an offering, and so it's hard for us as Americans to think about anything beyond that. But, but what I'm saying is many people today are looking for shortcuts in life. They want what somebody else has, but they don't want to do what they've done to get what they have. Right? We see this a lot in younger generation and younger people. They want the same car that their parents have or house or something. It's like they worked 40 years to be at this point. But we want it now. We, we, we want that shortcut. We see this in entrepreneurialism. Everybody wants to be overnight success, but most people who are overnight success work hard for 20 years. <laughs> and then one year it just clicked. Right? But think, think beyond business and, and family and that kind of stuff. How about um, emotionally? You know, it takes a lot of hard work to confront pain and problems from your past to become emotionally whole. And the truth is a lot of people are unwilling to do the extended hard work that they need to do with the help of somebody else. They'll look, oh, oh, look at their, their marriage. Think about it relationally. The truth is you don't get a strong marriage on accident overnight. You gotta fight and get through it just like the rest of us. <laughs> You got to talk with somebody that's been there, done that, and say, you know what? You were wrong. You need to go apologize. You need to surrender yourself. You get, right? Like, like we see this in so many topics, in so many areas. It's not just about selling land and wanting notoriety in church. We, we are all prone to wanting the easy button. But the truth is, we're all made the same, and we've got to go through the process together. I think Ananias and Sapphira clearly here didn't do what God asked them to do. They weren't satisfied with God's approval on their life, although I do think parenthetically that they'll still be in heaven. I don't see this as a salvation forfeiting deal. There was immediate judgment, but maybe I'll unpack that later for somebody else. But I don't think we have to be worried about one final sin and, oh, now we don't know. Okay, that, that, maybe I'll unpack that later, but not today. Um, but they, they weren't satisfied with God's approval and they were chasing man's applause. They didn't have to do what they did. I mean, we even read that, like, wasn't the land yours? <laughs> now, a lot of scholars have supposed that the land may have been part of Sapphira's dowry, that, that because she, she had an opinion in this, a say in this that was not common in those days. And, but they were just like, couldn't you have done whatever you wanted? Did you have to sell it? Of course, the answer is no. Did you have to give all the money? No, they could have just said, we're giving 70%. And I think the apostle would be like, that's going to help a lot of people. I've never had somebody give a check to the church. And I'm like, you sure you couldn't do more? They didn't have to. They could have said, we're just giving 20%. They could have said, we're giving none of it. We don't even know. I don't think they were checking W-2s that day. Like, what's the profit percentage of your land sale? They were just like, if you're saying we're giving everything, then you better give everything. 
Ananias and Sapphira were chasing man's applause. Look, I hope that your life inspires others like Barnabas does. But I hope that your life is not lived trying to impress others like Ananias and Sapphira did. Another way to say it is don't ever trade the eternal for the temporary. Don't forfeit God's approval for man's applause. Because the truth is what man cheers today, they'll probably not cheer tomorrow. Number two. Uh, I got to move on. If I, if I was going to summarize the message, this passage, my plea to you today, it would really be this point number two. When God is treated casually, sin is not taken seriously. When God is treated casually, sin is not taken seriously. We read on in verses seven to 10, continuing here in Acts chapter five. It says, about three hours later, his wife came in not knowing what had happened. Because how many people know if she did know what happened, she'd probably change her story. (laughs) I saw how it worked out for him. (laughs) Peter asked her, tell me. I I love, I love the extra chances that the Lord will often give us. When Ananias went in earlier and gave testimony, I said, with his wife's full knowledge. They could have both suffered judgment in that moment. But even here, I believe the Holy Spirit was giving her opportunity. Right? Jesus sitting at the Last Supper, Judas. I'm just so grateful for, for second and third and so many chances. It says, not knowing what happened, Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. And Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, he said, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down dead at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. I know some people in the room watching online might be confused right now. You might be concerned and and you're thinking, well, doesn't that sound more like the God of the Old Testament than the New Testament? But the truth is, friends, the God in the Old Testament is in fact the same God. It's the God in the New Testament. We tend to separate that, maybe more so here in America. We're like, oh, but but that was the law, and now we have grace. That was before Jesus. And well, the the truth is, it's still the same God. Sin still separates. Sin is still deadly. The good news for us is once Jesus came, it no longer has to be our death because of our sin. Jesus was willing and did, in fact, pay the price, but we have to accept it and live with God's approval and not forfeit it. This God in the Old Testament is the same God in the New Testament. And so often we look at this and we see it in the New Testament and we might wonder, well, why did this happen? (laughs) And yet one of our pastors on Monday questioned, I wonder why it doesn't happen more today. 
with rampant deception within the church. But here's a reality that's not talked about very often these days, at least here in America. Hypocritical worship is dangerous. There's no way to sugarcoat it, make it sound any nicer, or put a bow on it. Hypocritical worship is dangerous. Just because we've gotten away with it for a little while doesn't mean danger is not still crouching at our door. See, we're talking about dangerous deception today, and we need to realize how dangerous it is when we deceive ourselves. This message isn't about trying to deceive the pastor. It's not even really about trying to deceive God. We can't. But it's the one that we see in the mirror. Ananias and Sapphira both lied to themselves. And they said, it's no big deal. Why would they say that? I believe it's because they treated God casually. Ecclesiastes 5 and 1 reads like this, walk prudently when you go to the house of God. I'm not trying to scare you this morning, but I am trying to make you aware of the severity of the subject matter with which we're dealing with. God will not be mocked, nor will his word return fully. And when we treat God casually, sins never take it seriously. And what we see here in Scripture is that this is the first recorded public sin after Pentecost. We don't know that it was the only sin committed, but it's the first recorded public sin after Pentecost. And throughout Scripture, we see that firsts matter to God. We see it in the Old Testament, we see it in the New Testament. First fruits. We, we give to God first, then we live on the rest. First matters. We pray, we worship first, and it sets the tone for the rest of the day, the rest of the, the week. Amen. We understand that what we do first matters. The government understands this. That's why they take taxes out of your paycheck before you even get it. First matters. And here, this was the first recorded public sin after Pentecost. Therefore, we should not be surprised that when God is doing something new, that judgment comes swiftly and definitively. You know, as we talked and we prayed, we we wrestled with some of these words that when we see God drawing near, and we understand his presence is all around, but but it's hard for us to use English words to describe, but when we sense his presence coming close. We read about it in the Old Testament, the New Testament, when the glory of God came and people were unable. When he comes close, when he hovers, when he's moving, when we're asking him to do something new. Let me just say it point blank. We ought to pray for revival. We ought to pray for him to do something new, but we must acknowledge that as we ask him to come close and to meet with us in new ways, we must recognize he's holy and he's just and his presence demands we take sin seriously. 
You see, Ananias and Sapphira treated God casually. I don't know what the specific lies they told themselves, but I was thinking they might have thought, oh, it's no big deal. We'll just say this is everything we got and nobody will know the difference. Or maybe they deceived themselves by saying, well, we're given more than Barnabas did. So they ought to be glad we're giving more. I don't know what lie they believed. I just know they believed a lie they told themselves. And it's so dangerous when we try to deceive ourselves and we're willing to lie to God. We see the treatment of God being so casual today. We see, I used to see a t-shirt that said, Jesus is my homeboy. When we treat God casually, sin will not be taken seriously. Now, keep in mind, friends, I'm not necessarily talking about what the world, sinners, those lost without Christ, are doing. This passage is about the problem in the church. It's so easy for us in any conversation or any topic to think, oh, yeah, look at them, and well, we're better than they are. You know, that's the way the Pharisees prayed. That's the way the religious leaders that were dead on the inside, Jesus said, they pray, well, at least I'm not like them, and look how much better I am. And Jesus was like, man, you've missed it. Right? This is a problem within the church. And why is there such a widespread sin problem in our land today? I believe it's partially because the church has not treated God the right way. We've treated him casually. We, we've decided when is it convenient or not. We've, it's just no big deal. L- listen, statistics tell us that pornography remains widespread even amongst believers. Listen, if we're not going to treat God seriously or, or you, we treat him casually, of course we're not going to take sin seriously. We're deceiving ourselves. And we say, what's the harm in just a little bit of porn? I'm telling you, it's destroying lies on, on both ends of the screen. We're deceiving ourselves, but it's because we're not taking God seriously. We're treating him casually. It's, it's no big deal. You know, the truth is I remember growing up in church and living with the healthy fear of God and other church leaders. I knew if my parents didn't get me, the deacons would. <laughs> well, I know right now some people are like, should we spank or not? I got spanked by people not my family. I found the pinched nerve in my little you know, pressure point right here, pull an ear. That's just how we grew up. I turned out okay. I'm not saying great, but okay. <laughs> I love the Lord, you know. <laughs> But now it seems like in the name of acceptance and love without truth, we let everyone say and do what they want and avoid telling anyone else what to do. But now, as much as ever, I believe we need leaders. We need men and women of God who will take the things of God seriously and set the pace of holiness in these last days. Joshua 24, 14 and 15 reads like this. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. I think that's an appropriate message for us again today. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. 
He said, throw away the gods your ancestors worship beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. He said, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Look, I get that following Jesus is a personal decision. You can't make anybody else do it. But hear me today. If you're the parent, if you're the caregiver, if you're whatever term is applicable in your home, you set the tone that we will not treat God casually and therefore we will in fact take sin seriously. So let's not take it for granted anymore. Let's not treat God casually and let's be people who take sin seriously. Amen? Amen. All right, number three. And finally, which if you're new, doesn't mean a whole lot. Just means I'm on the last printed page. Okay, number three. Power is released when truth is increased. Power is released when truth is is increased. Listen, you can debate it if you want to, but I've seen it repeatedly in my lifetime. We see it right here in scripture where there is reduced purity, there is restricted power. Where there is reduced purity, there is restricted power. Look at, look at what he says. Verse 11, great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. (laughs) <laughs> I suppose so. I don't know what the church was called, but I know what they referred it to. You know, like the don't go to that church and lie church. That's what, you know, like, I don't know. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. It says the apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. They used to meet together. (laughs) Now they were like, we'll just leave the apostles to that. (laughs) We want to keep a safe distance. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. But I love this, verse 14. It says, nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. And as a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them, somebody say all of them, and all of them were healed. Where we see an increase of truth, we see a release of power. You know, we could go back, I was thinking about when Achan sinned at Ai, Joshua chapter 7. One man's sin to keep what was devoted to God. He buried that treasure beneath the tent and they lost the battle that day. Lives were, were killed in battle. Look, look at what he said, Joshua chapter seven. This is how the chapter begins. It says, but the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. A lot, a lot of times we, we focus in 
on the one man's sin, and clearly he was wrong. But there was a culture of treating God casually. There was a culture that says, we're going to be unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. They became careless or casual with the consecrated. And I believe the church of Jesus Christ here in our land, known as the United States of America, is in a precarious place. Because we've seen far too many that are unfaithful with devoted things. It says, after judgment, though, the fear was restored. Sometimes I think we wonder, oh, but, you know, what if it didn't happen, you know, and I don't think we would have seen the rest of the verses play out the way they did if judgment wasn't dispensed. Because people weren't taking him seriously. It's not a game, dear brothers and sisters. People's lives for all of eternity hang in the balance. People are watching. How are we living? What are we saying? Do we really believe it? Or, or, or do we say one thing publicly to get the applause of man and live totally different in the privacy of our home? I remember growing up in church and seeing men and women of God moving in the prophetic. They'd be there in a Sunday morning service. They'd be calling out sin in the pews from the pulpit. <laughs> Nothing will make you get right with God on Sunday afternoon more than knowing you're coming back to Sunday night with a prophetic person at Sunday night church. Because if they'll say it on Sunday morning, nobody knows what they'll say on Sunday night. <laughs> oh, you were breaking every unchristian CD that you own that Sunday afternoon. You were like, dear God, don't let that prophet call me out. <laughs> You were going to take it serious. Then if you didn't get caught, you bought it back that week. It was a weird CD sales program, I think, going on. You know? <laughs> and isn't that the way we do it, though? We think if we get away with it, that it was okay. But when these two didn't get away with it, when fear was restored... You know, some people were gripped with fear and so much so that other people didn't even go to the temple where the apostles were. They were like, we don't even want to get that close. We see that through scripture, right? Right? When God moved powerfully, the children of Israel were like, hey, Moses, you go meet with God. Tell him not to come do that again. We want our space. We want our distance. There's an instruction in James chapter 3. says, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Here's the truth. I, I say this probably more for people watching online than for you in the pews today. Well, we have chairs, but anyway. That's how long I've been in church, you know. I'm used to the same pew. Many pastors have lost their prophetic proclamation due to shortcuts and sin in their life. We live in a time, listen, I didn't need to preach this this week, but especially with it, I can assure you that your pastor has no hidden sin in his life at this time. 
Now, there was, there was times in my life where that would not be said. I'm not speaking to when I lived here. I'm just saying, you know, like I'm 40 years old. I did some sinning too. <laughs> but I'm calling upon pastors in our nation to take this thing seriously again. I'm calling upon men and women who are leaders in their homes and businesses, in their churches, to recognize the significance of the moment that we find ourselves in. There's a watching world wondering, do, do we really believe what we say we do? Do we really live it out? And unfortunately, many pastors have forfeited the ability to prophetically proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ because they've taken shortcuts in their own life. Because there's hidden sin that they've concealed. My role in leadership, it breaks my heart when I have to meet with different pastors, missionaries, credentialed ministers. And we meet together with tear-filled eyes and weep together over forfeiting the privilege to preach in a public setting. In almost each and every account of lives and families, ministries being destroyed, I could trace it back. They didn't take God seriously. They just treated him casually. Family devotions become something for somebody else to do. That personal prayer, spiritual disciplines is something that we talk about but we don't practice. We live in a land. See, it's different. One of my prayers this year was for different leaders in our Assemblies of God Global Fellowship to come and pour into our church not just because we needed an academic understanding of what it's like in their nation or, or in their, their fellowship or their ethnicity, but because as I look around the world, it seems most other national fellowships around the world, most other nations take the things of God far more seriously than the church in America. They're not following Christ out of convenience where their neighbors and their friends and their family members are getting arrested. They're, they're not praying little cute prayers at the end of a service. God, give me health and wealth and move on with my life. I said, dear God, would you let these global leaders come and rub off on us as a people here at Celebration? I'm praying it, it impacts our whole nation as we're a global fellowship. God, let the hunger and the severity, the seriousness that they take it around the world, let it be this way in your church here in America. Because where God is treated casually, sin's never taken seriously. But I believe as, as truth is increased. See, that's why you, you need to be in a church. I think you found one, but you need to be in a church that'll preach the whole counsel of scripture, not just the fun parts, not just the blessing and increase, but like all of it, the, these kind of messages. Because when truth is increased, look at the good things that happen. <laughs> you saved up all your amens for the end. This is gonna be awesome. Look, look at the good things that happened. <laughs> so more and more people believed in the Lord and joined the church. So they were added to their number. What happened? There's something transformative about the truth of the gospel. 
It's the only name of Jesus that can save, can set free, can heal, and deliver. No other message has the power to see people totally transformed. So when we stand on his truth, even the difficult ones, what we see is the gospel advances. Evangelism thrives even in times of judgment because there's something that happens when we find out who's serious about the things of God and who's just in it for convenience. See, God didn't call us to a convenient relationship. He called us to a covenant relationship. If we're in, we're all in. That was the word last week, right? Like, don't be sitting on the fence. Don't be, if you're in, you're in. That's what God invites us to, a covenant relationship. I love that, that the transformation that happened when the truth, but look at this, he goes on to say that, that people were not only saved, but lots and lots of people were healed from physical impairments. <laughs> we're praying that God continues to do that today. That people have been praying, they've been waiting. But I love this. It's not just that people were healed. I, I couldn't help but notice the increase in the atmosphere of expectation about the presence of God. Like it made sense that they'd bring people to be healed, but these people were so consumed in this atmosphere where truth was elevated, where truth was increased and sin was taken seriously and God was revered. What happened is they began to lay people in the streets just knowing that if a man of God's shadow, that's expectation. I wonder what do you expect when you go to meet with God? What do you expect when you go to meet with somebody else for prayer? I'm not just talking about coming to a church service. I'm talking about what do you do when you wake up in the morning and you're about to encounter the presence of God? We need an increase of the expectation. And that happens when God's not treated casually, when sin's taken seriously, when truth is increased. Expectation, anticipation is on the rise. So in fact, the less I sugarcoat the message, the more our spirits actually expect God to do something great. You know, but it wasn't just physical healings from sickness and disease, but it also says people who'd been tormented by impure spirits. It says all of them were healed. I'm gonna pray as I feel so strongly in my spirit, we live in a land that's being tormented by impure spirits. Yes, my prayer will be for those impure spirits to be gone. And all that. But really, when I see this passage, the way that God moved is when the church house got set in order, everything else fell into place in the community. So often we begin our prayers with God do something for them and my prayer today is gonna be God do something in us because I believe his glory rests in places where he's revered, where he's honored, where he's not treated casually, where we recognize the significance of the moments that we're living in. So I close with this and I'll pray. Is that you see it there on the bottom of your notes? Human fear travels fast. 
People died in church. They were like, what's up with that? Nobody wanted to go to that church anymore. But godly fear travels far. I love that. It said crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem. And what I'm praying is that what God does here wouldn't stay here, but it make a difference everywhere. Would you bow your head and close your eyes here this morning? I want to be that kind of church. I want to be that kind of man. I want us to be those kind of people that see the power of God displayed. But Father, right now I pray for my brothers and sisters, those watching online. I pray for those, God, that have treated you casually. In this moment of personal response, God, I ask, don't let them leave the way that they came. Father, I pray for many in this moment who will join the dozens in the first service. Holy Spirit, I'm asking, would you highlight in their heart areas of their life that they've withheld from you? Maybe it's hidden sin. Maybe it's habits. Maybe it's that public perception. But God, I pray, don't let them leave the same way. The consequences are far too great. The stakes are way too high to be casual about our commitment to you. Even with every head bowed and every eye closed, before we go. If you're here, if you're online, you could have a prayer partner. We'll pray with you there. I have a link, but I just want to pause. There's something about a response, an act, a recognition. God, God, you're speaking to me. So I'm going to pause just in this moment. It's a private moment, but I'll help facilitate it between you and God. If you're here, there's sin in your life. Maybe you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. You've been living for yourself. The Bible says there's a way that seems right, but in the end it leads to death. And today you hear the word of God proclaimed and you say, I've been on that way that's leading to death. I've been pursuing things that don't lead to life. I've been pursuing things that aren't gonna lead me back to the Father. And today you need to be forgiven of all your sin and be made new. Or maybe you're here and you prayed a prayer at one point. You may even look good on the outside to everybody else, but you know there's an area or areas in your life, in your heart that you've withheld from God. You've been lying. It's not about lying to me or a different pastor or community group leader. Served. You've been lying to yourself. The most dangerous deception, the one that you see in the mirror. Today, you want to make things right between you and God. You're going to take this seriously. Why? So that the, your life will be a great testimony of God's goodness and his grace in your life. But so the great things will happen in this community and beyond. The Bible says that the gospel will be preached in every nation and then the end will come. What a better way than to take him seriously here today?
whether you've lived a life full of sin or just areas where you've withheld with no one looking around, every head bowed and every eye closed. When I count to three, I'm asking you to lift your hand. I'm just gonna acknowledge it. There's something about saying, God, it's not about my hand, it's about my heart. But I'm gonna pray with you. I'm gonna pray for you. And we're gonna believe that God will do what only he can do. Whether you've lived a life of sin or there's just sin areas, if you wanna take your walk with the Lord, you wanna follow him with all your heart, you need to take it seriously today. Come on, would you lift your hand across this house? Sure, 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 yeah, yeah. God, I'm praying right now, you can put it down, but for my brothers and sisters, First, for those that they're surrendering their life to you for the very first time. Lord Jesus, your word says that if we'll just simply confess our sin, that you'll be faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So God, I pray right now for my new brothers and sisters, these dear friends, for those that are saying yes to you for the first time, Jesus, would you forgive them of their sin? Would you set them free from their past? Make them a new creation, as your word says, from the inside out. Let them know as they leave this place that they're living with God's approval. There's nothing else they have to say or do to earn or achieve. They've now been approved by you. And I bless them today. Father, I pray for each and every other person. Holy Spirit, I ask, continue to do what only you can do. Highlight areas in our lives that we've withheld from you. If there be any area that's not honoring and glorifying to you, we surrender it to you today. We ask that you would help us make much of you in these last days. That we would not Even beyond that, Lord, we repent of the moments that we've treated you casually. Maybe we've taken your name in vain. Maybe we've prayed prayers that lacked faith. Maybe we've done things out of just religious routine or obligation. We've come into your presence with unclean hands. We've taken for granted the audience of the creator that we've been given. Help us to never treat you casually again. For it is the joy, honor, and privilege of our lives to serve you, to give you everything, for you gave everything to us. So God, I pray that you'd receive our lives as worship to you, and we pray it in Jesus' name. We hope that you learned something from this message and are able to apply it to your life. If you gave your life to Jesus for the first time or for the 10th time, please reach out to us on Facebook or email us at info at celebrationchurch.net. Thank you for listening. We'll see you again next week.